Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. I was at Starbucks this morning buying a cup of coffee. I used my credit card. Less than 10 seconds later, even that much, I was out the door. Now think about what just happened. I slid in my chipped card and the price was approved. And that was it. No wait, there's nothing more. Out the door I went with my nice vente soy latte. The card and chip verified my identity, contacted the bank to verify I had the funds, deducted those funds, and in this case, added the credit to my purchase because I used a card. Credited Starbucks, all of that. 10 seconds or less. So it's really unbelievable when you think about the technology, if you will, behind what happens when you swipe your card or you chip your card. We as consumers don't really understand the ins and outs of credit card processing. We just know we put our card down, we make some money, we buy up something, it charges our card, and out the door we go. But there is so much that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable. And it's not a simple business. We think it's simple because it's all we're doing is this quick transaction. Yet in the blink of an eye, all this happens. So today, I've invited Perrin Holtrup, founder and CEO of Pay Nation, to bring some clarity to this mystery of credit cards and how it can positively or frankly negatively impact your business. But before we begin, let me take a quick break. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. We take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans, as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzigroup.com. Joining me is Perrin Holtrup, founder and CEO of Pay Nation, to discuss the good, bad, and ugly of accepting credit cards for your business. Perrin, welcome. Angelo, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, uh, before we get started, I, I, I want you to just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your, your business, Pay Nation, and kind of how you got started and what you really do at Pay Nation. So I've been in the payment space about six years. Um, started off at a, another company, a competitor, um, was primarily focused in the uh, kind of restaurant hospitality space. And then uh, I eventually went over to a company uh, called Car Connect, a really cool company. It's more in the B2B space, and I focus more on uh, integrated payments and, and uh, manufacturers, distributors, wholesalers, and then got really good at that and really good at the integration and eventually started my own company, Pay Nation, which essentially focused primarily on B2B payments and integrated payments. So that's kind of the, the real quick, rough and dirty of the transitions there. Okay. You know, what's interesting is we as consumers, you know, we have, uh, you know, our three or four or whatever credit cards in our, in our wallet and we tend to use those. 
But when we and we think about going into a restaurant, we pay with our cards, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you mentioned uh, with Card Connect that you were more on the B2B side. It, and I, I don't think consumers and, and businesses and people that are getting into it really understand the value and the benefit of accepting credit cards and, and kind of the, the ins and outs of all of that. And so I, I think that's going to be an important part of our discussion to adding some clarity. Because, again, if you uh, have to realize that how many businesses and what happens on the other side of all of that. So um but before we get into that, I, I want to talk a little bit about when you're growing your business, what keeps you up at night? What, what, what do you think about? Um, lots of stuff keeps me up at night. Uh, one of the things that uh, used to keep me up at night a lot uh, is when I was working in, primarily in the restaurant hospitality space is getting calls at two o'clock in the morning because, uh, you know, restaurants closing and they can't batch out or they're having issues with, uh, you know, batching out at the end of the night. So, you know, that's a, one of many things, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, we, we work in a business that's primarily on reoccurring revenue and residuals, and uh, we want to make sure that our clients are happy and taken care of. So when you have a large book and you have a lot of clients, you know, and you get calls from here and there, you maybe have a large client, uh, one of your bigger clients, you want to make sure that they, that they're taking care of and uh, sometimes you get those calls uh, in the middle of the night or on a weekend and uh, you want to make sure that you can answer them because you know that one time you don't answer them um, and there's another guy poaching your account that's there to answer the call you know you have the you have a chance of losing that account um, so it gets kind of stressful sometimes but you know it's a lot of a lot, a lot of times I tell people you know I'm in the people business you know our job is primarily relationships so I'm making sure the client's happy being there on a, on a personal level um, you know I have clients that invite me to birthday parties and and uh, you know anniversaries and so forth so you know it's really important to, to really understand your client and for them to understand you too so if you don't answer that call for whatever reason that one day they're not holding you to the fire because of it so sure those are some, those are some of the things I mean we live in, we live we're in a world uh, in, a, in an industry where um, our Obviously, our money is directly affected by our clients. So we, as long as they're processing, we're you know we're we're living a good life. Well, you know, you made a great comment, and and for for my listeners, you probably have no idea, but I actually spent about eight months in the in the credit card processing industry myself. I was the chief strategy officer for a, a payment processor. So, you know, I got to some of this conversation is going to be based off my experience. But you said something that I really love, and I don't think. And I think it's important for you know the, my listeners, startups, small businesses, medium-sized business. And you said it. You're in the people business, right? There's the technology of it. There's the rates of it, and all those kind of the financial aspects. But it is about being responsive and making sure that you know it isn't those triggers or you, like you said, you didn't batch out. You know, and and for me that was always important because obviously then what's to turn around for the, the money to be deposited into the client's bank. And, you know, that's a, that's another selling point when people say it can be 24 hours, it's going to be 48 hours. Right. So there's all these kind of behind the scene things that you're helping to manage in behalf of your clients to make sure that they're not getting the money, accepting it and, and getting the greatest rates, if you will, but also on the back end, making sure that money's getting into their bank as quickly as possible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, if I had a dollar for every time, for, for many times that I've uh, taken over accounts simply because 
their current process or the guy wasn't there, he wasn't responsible, or maybe he works for a company where he just gets a, a one-time signing bonus and he's out, he doesn't care about the account no more. I've won a lot of business just based on being there and being present and being able to answer the questions that the clients had. So, you know, being there, you know, it's obviously pricing and integration and all those things are important. But at the end of the day, your clients got to like you and you got to like them and you got to have a, it's a partnership. It's not just a mm-hmm. vendor and value added. We, we are a partnership. I'm just as important as a, an attorney or accountant or any other of the partners that you have to grow your business, especially in the time where 80, 90% sometimes of your money comes from a credit card processor. You know, it's, I think it's a good idea to have a good relationship with the guy that's handling those, those payments. For yeah. You. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, I, I always looked at it and, and, and I look at you as a consultant, really, and, and not just a processor, right? Because, I mean, like like myself as a, as a marketing consultant and fractional CML, I mean, there are certain things that my clients depend on, not just marketing stuff, right? So there's that relationships. And to your point, um, that's what you're delivering. What is the, what is the best business advice you've ever received? Uh, the best business advice that I ever received was a, a, an old friend of mine. It's actually a guy I used to rent a little office space from. And he said, you know, you, you, you don't want, I'm trying to remember exactly how he said it, but he said, um, you don't want all the business. You just want the good business. And his point was, is, you know, we spend a lot of time focusing on getting all the business we can, but not all business is good business. I mean, there's deals I walk away from all the time. Just the amount of work that's involved or the amount of margin that's involved in, in it for the amount of work just doesn't make sense on the ROI standpoint. So, you know, it's just a matter of, of, of recognizing what good business is. Um, there's been times where I've had really good business, but the people involved were just, you could tell, were a headache. And you're just like, you know, I just don't think we're a good fit. And so, you know, just being okay with knowing that not all business is good business and recognizing what fits in your um, in your lane, if you will, um, and just focusing on that. And that's pretty much what I kind of do. It's, it's lend itself pretty well for me successful wise, um, in terms of just recognizing what I think is good business and what I want to focus on. And, and I think that's probably the best advice I've gotten that I can think of off the top of my head. Is that the same advice you give? What's the best business advice you've given? The best advice I've given, um, is probably I don't know. That's a really good question. I gotta. I get. I feel like I give a lot of good advice. Um, I would. I would say it's specifically um, in the credit card business. Um, is just looking at the facts. You know, a lot of times when you got a bunch of guys, you know, any kind of product for that matter, especially in the credit card business, such a commoditized business, um, is you get all these different um, opinions and different. Everyone's trying to sell you. Um, I try to focus on the facts and, 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 and being transparent as possible and let the, the client themselves make the decision on what was presented to them. You know, a lot of times, 90% of the time, it yields itself successful for me. But there's times where a customer will be like, you know what, I, I heard what you said and I like I heard, I heard like what I heard from someone else. I'm going to go with them, but I appreciate the info. Hey, great. No problem. So just, you know, I guess making a decision uh, based on facts and not emotional, I guess it's probably the best advice I've given this particular industry. And, and, and my last question before we get into it, if your journey as, a, as an entrepreneur was a book, what would the title be? The Business of Life. The Business of Life. I like it. 
I like it. You know, it's like uh, life is such a uh, up and down, and, and, and no one has a monopoly on a good story. I think that all of us have our own. You know, we always tend to think that we have a monopoly on our problems or our successes, and everybody has wins and peaks and valleys in life. Um, you know, and so when you have your own journey and your own you kind of your own uh, path, if you will, you know, we can all have the same book titled the, the, the Business of Life, but it'd be a whole bunch of different autobiographies because everybody's paths are different. We might cross those paths, but we're going different right ways. So I think the business of life, because life is a business. I mean, we gotta we got to look at an ROI on our, on, on our own personal time and personal life as well. So mm-hmm. uh, the business of life, I think, would be the title. All right. I love that. So as, as I mentioned in, in a few seconds ago, and of course, you know, I, I was in the industry. And I remember when I first, the first week I was starting to work in this industry, I thought, well, this is going to be easy. <laughs> I use a credit card. How hard could it be? I give them money. As I said earlier, they get processes 10 seconds or less, and I'm done. It is not a simple business. There is at, so much at that all. At goes all. on behind the scenes that, and I, and I think there's there were a lot of surprises. And so some of this conversation today is is for my guests or my my audience, right? Because it's a it's a business show. It's an advice show. It's education. And I think the number one surprise that I had was the the types and the number of cards that are out there in the industry. It's not just a Visa. It's not just an American Express. It's not just a MasterCard. There are so many different types of cards, and each one of those cards carries a, a different fee or you know uh, things that are associated with. So let, let's kind of start there, right? We'll work big picture, thousands of cards, whatever the number is these days, and that we'll, we'll start drilling down. So talk about the, the difference of cards and the value of cards. So this is a lot to unpack, but uh, you've kind of set the groundwork here. So in the so so first and foremost when you get a statement let's say you're a company that does you know let's say a hundred thousand dollars a month in credit card processing and you get a statement um and you see those fees those fees are not all going to the processor there's a lot of people that are getting paid from those fees the processor themselves get a very slim piece of that of that pie if you will there's the, the, the issuing bank, so the issuing bank of the card. So if you have a Capital One card or uh, American Express card or a, a credit card at Bank of America issued to you, those have uh, all fees associated to what we call interchange. It's the, the, the way the issuing banks of those cards make money. And then out of that money, the sponsor bank, which is the bank that underwrites the credit card, they get a piece. The card brands, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express gets a piece. Um, and then, obviously, the processor themselves, process the payment, um, gets a small markup. So, you know, the, they're in, the, in the credit card world, there's about 300 different interchange rates from debit cards to business cards, purchasing cards, corporate cards, rewards cards. Um, it's got American Airlines logo on it. All of those different cards have a different fee associated to it. And those fees on those cards differ between depending on the type of business that you are. So what that means is if I own a restaurant and you own, let's say, an HVAC company and we both process the same amount of money per month and we both have the same quote-unquote rate from our provider or processor, there's a chance that I'll pay less than what you'll pay because the kinds of cards I take in the type of business that I am 
is different and the rates are different or the interchange is different than a business to B2B company like yourself in the HVAC. So there's a lot of nuance and, and a lot of times people think it's just swiping the car. Hey, what is your rate? You know, the rate is the most complicated um, and, the, and the most common question that we get as processors because there's a lot of factors that go into what a rate is. So, you know, that's the first thing to understand that if I was to do your pet processing for free, Angelo, and say, hey, I'm going to charge you, I'm not going to charge you a dime uh, to process your payment just to make a point here, and you did $100,000 in credit card processing that month, you're still going to get a statement with a lot of fees on it because the majority of the fees are going to the aforementioned uh, issuing banks and such. Yeah, like I'm saying, it's not, it's not simple. <laughs> not simple at all. And that's, now, part um, my, and that's part of my job a lot of times is really trying to uh, bring a complicated thing like this because it is complicated, just really bringing some context to it and just just one by one, just explaining to the client. And the nine times out of ten, clients get it. They're like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So that's kind of part of what I do. Do you spend a lot of time um, like putting on educational seminars and things like that for your clients? Because, I mean, it's, it is really – you know, I, I've seen the statements and unless you're trained to read them, it, it's very confusing. So um, how do, uh, you know, you work with your clients to make sure back to that customer service part of it, right? If they're educated and they understand what they're looking at, at least they're intelligent about it as opposed to calling you up and saying, hey, what the heck is this? Right. You're trying to minimize that kind of uh, anxiety on their end. Yeah, so what, what I generally do, um, the, the best the best kind of clients that I generally like to work with are, are guys like CFOs, controllers, director of finances, guys that kind of have a little bit of background working through credit card statements and kind of seen the numbers before. They have a little bit of knowledge because um, then I can simply really just fill in the gaps and kind of point out some of the things. So a lot of times what I'll do is just pull up a statement, do like a Zoom call or if it was in person, you know, pre, uh, pre-COVID. I mean, look, say, look, this is what you're paying. Here's the itemized breakdown. Not all statements are the same. There's a lot of different pricing models that a lot of different price processors have. So not every statement looks the same either. You think interchange is complicated, statements are even worse. So if I can show them and, and kind of break it down, but what I think where the where the real value add comes in is after we do an analysis and the customer decides, hey, yes, we want to do business with you and we move forward. I generally go back in about 60 days, 90 days later and do a statement review. And then I'm putting a side by side comparison to the old statement compared to ours and kind of pointing out exactly what we discussed before, which earned me the business to showing well, here's what you were paying. Here's what you're paying now. And just kind of showing that wasn't any kind of bait and switch type of thing um, is real evidence to show you that everything we discussed is right here in the statements. And that usually um, more times than not, like, oh, OK, I get it. And it really kind of, um, you know, for lack of a better word, consummates the relationship in the sense of us doing business for a long period of time. Um, and just having that transparency and that conversation to where my clients are educated on what a statement looks like rather than kind of doing the old school, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, put a bag over your head and just assume that you know and and be a trickery because that's what a lot of these processors do is they do that trickery and charge you one place or not charge you and then charge you somewhere else. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it's very easy to get caught up in that rabbit hole. So I think that the transparency of it and just really walking through that whole thing um, really builds value with my client to show them that I'm not hiding anything. And that really helps. 
Yeah, and and that's a you know I want to emphasize transparency because like I I remember when we were uh, looking at programs and things that we were doing that what we found from a lot of competitive standpoint is they would go in and, and I, and, and I would call it tier pricing, but they would go in and say, here's where you fit. We're going to give you the lowest rate in the industry, blah, blah, blah. And, and this is what you're going to pay. But the problem was that the majority of their cards actually didn't, that they were accepting didn't fit in that tier. They were actually coming in at a higher rate. And so that was that low balling. I mean, you're in a extremely competitive industry. And and it's cutthroat. I mean, you walk in, you walk out of your clients with uh, after a review, there's a good possibility they might get two or three calls from another processor literally in the same day. Right. And and there is that confusion, especially when people are not being transparent of how the rates and things are really being set. Yeah. So, you know, and that and that's a good point. And that's why I think the transparency really comes to play, because if I am in a position where I'm competing for the business with some other processors um, most of the time they're not breaking down the conversation or breaking down what a statement is or what the pricing is uh, like I am so I'm kind of in a kind of essentially uh, arming the merchant with some information to help weed out the other you know the other competitors most of the time it works to my advantage there has been times where I've given some merchants a lot of info and they use that same info to kind of against me um you know it's it's not really you know ethical in my opinion i think it's it's kind of whatever but you know it does happen and it, it is what it is but i always chalk it up that that's not good business that's not a person i want to do business with but it it, it bears mentioning though and i think it's just really important to understand speaking about rates is that whenever that's the, that's the most asked question is what is your rate and asking a, a, what a rate is it's kind of like going into buying a car and asking the sales guy what is my monthly payment on my car and you haven't told him what kind of car you want and he hasn't run your credit yet he has no idea so credit cards the same way there, you know, there are companies that will give you a flat rate and just say here's a flat rate but they're just assuming what your business is going to be and a lot of times if it's if it's too not enough they'll raise it or you're paying too much and that that in between is where a lot of companies get messed up. So there's four factors that create a rate. And it, it kind of talked about it a, a few moments ago, but one is obviously the type of business. Um, in the credit card world, we have a, a code called an MCC or merchant category code. So the type of business that you are um, is going to affect what your rate is on the interchange that we talked about. The type of cards that you take. So if you're a B2B business and you're doing mostly business to business cards there's going to be a lot of corporate cards and purchasing cards and corporate debit cards as opposed to a restaurant or hospitality there may be a lot more personal signature debit cards or, or rewards cards um, and then obviously that the average ticket size um, if you're a business that has $20 average ticket or $2,000 average ticket that's going to affect your rate if you're getting charged on a transaction basis and then obviously the volume if you're a business that's doing you know, $100,000 a month in credit card processing or um, you're doing a million dollars a month in credit card processing, those things are going to affect. So it's important to understand that there's a lot of variables. Um, and jet, if you if you walk, if you go to a place that gives you a flat rate um, and or they're telling you what your rate is without looking at any of your statements or looking at any of the historical data, you probably want to run the other way as fast as possible because 
they're just guessing and that's not going to help your business. Okay. That, that's give me um give me two or three tips or questions if you will to arm my listeners. What what questions should they be asking someone like yourself when you come through the door when it comes to credit card processing? There's that education piece. So how can we make them smart? Uh, first thing I'd ask them is how long you've been doing it. Um, you know, there's a lot of companies that will hire um, novices or young guys in this business um, just to knock on doors and to call and get statements and say, hey, you're paying this, we're going to lower it. You know, that's the game that everyone's playing. That's what everyone's used to. Um, and that's kind of what's given our, our, our industry a bad reputation is, you know, a lot of merchant guys are just new. I don't want to say they're terrible. They're just new and inexperienced. Um, when you get into more of the complex deals or the larger deals or you're getting into deals where there's integration, um, most of the time, you know, the, 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 the guys that are in those kinds of spaces been doing this a while. So first thing I ask, how long you been doing, how long you been doing this? You know, how many, if it's a B2B business, if you're a company that's selling, let's say, a, a certain type, you're a distributor or manufacturer, so how many manufacturers or distributors do you have, do you, do you work with? Do you primarily work? Um, in the hospitality space, because the B2B sector is a completely different environment. It's kind of like, um, best way I can describe it is, you know, if you're a doctor, um, let's say you're a, an MD and you're a pediatrician and you and you uh, you focus primarily on, on children, um, and then you have a chiropractor who's a doctor in his own right, but is a, a totally different type of doctor. He's got no business you know, in that realm, not saying that they don't know or they're not science or they're not educated. It's just a totally different environment. But people think credit card is just kind of like this monolithic service that everything kind of applies. And that's not the case. If there is nuances and there is um, specificity in certain business and industries, that's important to understand. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I well, I was trying to, again, questions for my listeners to, to ask to be smart. You know, one of the things, uh, this is several years ago when chip cards rolled out and there was a big program as we converted to more chips or contactless cards. So let's, let's talk about those. I, I, I personally found the, the value of the chip once I understood it again, that was happening during the time I was, I was really in the industry and, and I thought that was just brilliant. But most people didn't understand it. I know the, the, the merchants were resistant to it and, and the customers were confused. So why don't we just take a couple seconds and explain the difference between, you know, what happens when you swipe, what happens when you chip and what happens when you use contactless and any other trends that might be coming along. So uh, EMV stands for Europay MasterCard Visa, which is the three different companies or organizations that created chip cards. Um, and essentially what the chip card did was put the liability more on the merchant and less on the uh, or more more on the, the user and less on the merchant. So in other words, um, the days of putting the information on the back of a strip, you know, there's a lot of people that have, have probably had this happen to them where somebody might come in and the credit card might say parent whole trip on it but the back strip has all the information of Angelo's card, right? And so I can go in there and show my ID, but all the information is on the back strip. And that's how the credit card business worked for a long time. So what the EV did was allow all that information to be in that chip and terminals or machines that ultimately made sure that that information that says on the card 
matches what's on the chip itself. And there's, you know, from what I know now, I'm sure there's somebody eventually will find a way around it. But as of right now, it's it's kind of a uh, pretty much impossible, right? And so what happened was is uh, in 2000, I believe 15 October 1st, I think it was. Uh, they made it where it was the responsibility of the merchant to have a chip reader. So if a customer came into your business and you didn't have a chip reader to read those chips um, and somebody was to dispute a card, you automatically lost because you didn't have the technology to read these cards. And this is mostly in a card present environment. Um, it's totally different in, in the card not present environment with e-commerce and stuff like that. But this is primarily in the, in the, um, in the card present environment. And so, you know, the days of going into a restaurant and saying, hey, you know, I, I, I never was here. I never ordered this $200 steak dinner. Um, it's a little harder to say that when you have cameras, of course, and then you have a chip card that shows that was there as opposed to a swipe. Um, so it, it really has, uh, I, I remember if I'm not mistaken, I was reading uh, an article that Visa put out a couple of, I think it was like last year I read it, and they said that um, fraud, once EMV got implemented, was decreased by like 76% by implementing EMV. So it's, it's definitely worked. Um, it's definitely kind of uh, helped in that regard. But, you know, these, these criminals are smart sometimes, so they find different ways around stuff. So Yeah. Well, one of the things I, I found interesting about the chip, and you can correct me if I if I misunderstood it, that with the swipe, the, the, the code, the verification code, and I'll get the words wrong, I mean, it's the same because it's on the strip. But what the chip did is every time you used the chip, it generated a new authorization code. So it wasn't one authorization code, but it was actually generating new ones. So it made it much more difficult, to your point, to, to have fraud. Yeah, that too. But you got to remember, I mean, they have uh, in the street, it's, it's called a brick. And so you can enter in your information and actually swipe a card and all that information is on that strip. You can't do that with a chip. I can't enter in information on a chip that's all done from the, the card manufacturer. So there are even people, if you'll notice, if you go to like a company that has gift cards, they still make Visa gift cards where the information on the front of the card is just silk screened on there. It's not embossed. So there's company, there's guys out there that would take these gift cards, Visa gift cards, emboss Angelo Ponzi's name on the front of the card put somebody else's information, my information on my credit card on the on the magnetic strip, and I can go into a store with your an ID that says Angelo Ponzi and swipe and charge card all day long with parent whole trips information on a magnetic strip. An EMV alleviates that because the information is not stored on the magnetic strip anymore. It's all stored on the chip portion of it. So that's where the fraud is mitigated by doing that because I can't put your information in your name on a chip it's all done from the actual card manufacturer so that's that's okay. that's the real big crucial thing there and, and it seems it kind of standardized i mean i don't there's really no more resistance in the sense of people accepting those cards but but now we're kind of hearing a lot about contactless cards and certainly using your phone and uh, qr codes or whatever it happens to be i mean is this more of the trend as we move farther and farther away from actually having physical cards in our wallet yeah, you know, contact, contact list has been, uh, you know, something that's kind of been around for a couple of years, you know, at, with Apple Pay and Google Pay and Samsung Pay, um, QR codes now, you scan it, put your credit card in. 
Um, these are all things that uh, have been in the, you know, in the in the in the murk for a while, uh, or in the lurk, whatever the word is there. And um, now with COVID coming in, um, more and more people want to go that route because they just don't want to touch cash. They don't want, you know, interaction where you're giving somebody a card. You know, restaurants are less likely to take a card. They don't want to touch anything. I mean, even right now, you go to, you know, a drive-through, you know, get a a sandwich or a burrito or something at a drive-through and they're sticking the, the card out of the, the machine out the window for you to run your car just no one's touching cards so you're going to definitely see contact lists be more and more um the way to go i know a couple of colleagues of mine are really pushing that in the restaurant space really talking more about contact lists the good news is a lot of the a lot of the terminals and a lot of the pos systems and a lot of the products that are out there already have this technology so it's kind of existed it's not like we're scrambling to have this technology it's already there it's just more and more people are using it um it's kind of one of those things that's been there for a while but it takes some kind of big event for people to like oh this is actually really cool and they start using it more so you'll you'll even you see banks and i mean not banks uh, gas stations um more and more have contact lists at the pumps it's a yeah, lot yeah. more than that. so you're definitely going to see it a lot more and i think it's definitely going to be the standard for sure there's a there there was always a question and and we can maybe spend a few minutes on it if you think it's important, but the difference between a, a low risk business and a high risk business. Yes, there's definitely uh, there's definitely um, that, although it's changed a little bit since COVID happened, but low risk has always been considered like restaurant, hospitality, car washes, um, you know, anything where there's a, a fast delivery of the product. Um, high risk a lot of times is anytime there's a long wait for a product or um, just a volatile business, furniture, um, timeshare uh, time businesses. Those are all uh, buyer's remorse where people are like, hey, I didn't buy this. Those are always considered high risk. Then you have obviously like gun sales, online gun sales, you know, adult industry, strip clubs, um, obviously CBD has always been a hot topic. Those are all high risk and those just fall under different reasons why they're high risk, whether it's CBD or marijuana, for instance, where uh, it's still federally illegal, so the sponsor banks don't want to touch it, or it's a business where there's a high risk of chargebacks because people have buyer's remorse, whatever, that's where high risk comes in. So. And then if you have a business that might be low risk in the sense of the product that you sell, but it takes a long time for the customer to get their product. Um, I have a client that um, a furniture store who makes custom products and custom furniture that takes two months sometimes and just got a large charge back because it took too long to make. And he told the person it's going to take a couple of months for you to get it because it's customized. Um, you know, those are the things that underwriting usually wants to take a look at. When uh, COVID happened, um, we had a big issue with uh, a lot of business getting into the PPE business um, that weren't in the PPE business to begin with. So they just started selling PPE products because they knew there was some money to be made there. A lot of the processors would, you know, a lot of these companies would sell a lot of this. Um, and then they would put a freeze or a hold on their money because they want to say, hey, why are you selling these products? We didn't know what was going on with COVID. Now it's kind of more normalized. So you know, underwriting is looking at it. So, you know, I guess I, I should put some context to when I say underwriting, because people always ask me, why does a credit card need underwriting? Well, you got to understand that 
if you're a business that's processing a ten thousand dollar charge, right? I, I come to your business, Angela, you swipe my card for ten grand, that money's in your account tomorrow. The processor that actually took the card sometimes takes up to 30 days to reconcile with the card brands to actually get their money from them. So there's essentially a floating of money that's taking place to allow you to get your money tomorrow while we wait and get our money from the card brand. So that floating of money, if you will, is where the processor makes its markup for getting that process done. So there's obviously technology there involved for us to communicate with the banks to make that transaction work, but that's why there's underwriting. So if you're a business that's selling a product that might have a high rate of chargebacks and we paid you that money today, 30 days later, those businesses go out of business or we can't, uh, Visa NASCAR think there's fraud or whatever the case may be, we're not getting our money back, but you got paid already, and that's where the risk comes in. So that's why there's certain businesses that are low risk and high risk because, you know, the low risk, like restaurants, you're going to get your food today and there's not going to be an issue. There are still chargebacks, of course, but uh, that's kind of where that's kind of where it goes. The other question I, 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 I hear people ask in general is the difference between a processor and a gateway. Yeah, very, very, very good question. Um, so I'll try to explain this as easy as possible because it does get confusing. So um, generally in a uh, card not present environment, e-commerce or software or for virtual terminal or app, um, those are usually card not present environments. There's always three components um, to, a, to a charge. Um, so you have one end, you'll have, let's say, the software. Let's call it an e-commerce site or if it's a you know, QuickBooks or whatever it may be. Um, on the other end is the processor, the actual company that's actually calling the bank, making sure that money is available in that car, authorizing that charge, capturing that money and putting it in your account. That's the processor. The gateway is essentially a piece of software that makes those two bookends talk. It's a piece of software or where, where the payment is driven through. That's where you're entering in the information to go to the processor. But there's some confusion sometimes because you have companies like Stripe and Square and PayPal who are gateway companies, but they also are what we call a payment facilitator. They've essentially, what they've done is went to one of the processors and said, hey, we're going to take on some of the risk of this charge and we're going to do some of the processing ourselves through your, through your technology, through your rails, as we call it but we are going to handle the majority of it because we have the gateway and that's where some confusion. So authorized.net, Stripe, uh, Square, um, the, you know, the, these are all gateways. Um, processors are more like First Data, Elevon, WorldPay. These are all processors. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Costco, U.S. Bank. These are all banks that process on a processor. So for, for Bank of America, for instance, is a reseller, if you will, of first data. They process their payments on the first data network. Elevon, another big processor, processes on U.S. Bank because U.S. Bank owns Elevon. And there's, there's five major processors in the U.S. So, you know, all of these other companies, if you don't see those names, I usually have a slide that I show that, sh that kind of describes this. But um, those are the processors. So, Generally, what you're looking for um, is, uh, uh, you know, and this is where a lot of people get into the weeds, especially when they're integrating, is they have a gateway, they're paying a transaction fee, maybe a monthly fee, 
and then the processor is charging them a, a transaction fee and basis points and everything else. And if they're not careful, if it's a small ticket environment, 10, 20, 30 dollar charge, and you're getting charged 10 cents here and 10 cents on the other side, you're paying 20 cents for a product and you can get nailed to the cross that way. So that's part of what I do is just kind of giving people the understanding to differentiate between the processor and gateway to make sure they're not double double getting double charged on certain transactions. This, I mean, this has been really educational. And, and it, it, like I said, when I first started talking, it's not a it's not a simple concept. It seems simple, but it, but it's very confusing. I did want to, we, and we're kind of coming down to the end, but, you know, we, we've talked a lot about a more kind of transactional kinds of things, right? With restaurants and businesses accepting cards, but, you know, regardless what the business is. But there's another strategy that I've seen used, and that's integrating the processing within a piece of software. And whether it's limousines or it's or some kind of other uh, piece of software that you're buying, it's the, the processing is already integrated into it. And, and that's really another kind of verticalization strategy for for building uh, potential revenue uh, for co- people like yourself. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where we focus. That's where I focus primarily. That's uh, essentially what uh, Pay Nation's focus is, is working with B2B companies, either providing them credit card service in the B2B space, which I would like to touch on if we have time to really talk about that because it's important, but integrating um, essentially technology or, the, or a gateway into that, um, into that ecosystem or that software so that a person is not doing what they need to do on the software and then going to a whole nother portal to make a payment or process a card or ACH. It's all done in one place and everything ends up at, on the same general ledger. Um, so there's no double entry. And that's a really big thing. It's a very, very, very common practice these days. It's really kind of um, what you'll see a lot of people doing. You know, if you if you work at a gym or if you're in a lumber you know, industry or um, any type of industry that has a, a specific software for that industry, you're going to a lot of times either see that software already have the ability to take payment and that company trying to sell you on their service that's integrated or a guy like me or a company like me talking to that software company that doesn't have an integrated payment and showing them the value of why an integrated payment works for them as well as for the customer and, and you know some of the uh, how it's lucrative. But specifically um, in the B2B space, and this is really important, is in the credit card industry, we talked about in- interchange earlier, is the, the 300 or so interchange or different types of cards there's about 60 or 65 cards that are in the B2B space. Um, these are cards, MasterCard and Visa, Visa and MasterCard specifically has preferred pricing, if you will, for businesses that buy goods and services from other businesses. But what happens is when that transaction is done, Visa and MasterCard is looking for a certain line item of information to be present at the time of that transaction. So there's levels. There's a level one, level two, and level three. And Level three generally applies to a certain type of card or generally a purchasing card or a few others. So what happens is that some of these business will be in a uh, do a lot of credit card transactions, a lot of credit card volume uh, with other businesses, and they're taking these types of cards. And the technology that they're using or the way they're processing the card is not allowing them to enter in these line item information either manually or some systems will do it automatically. So what happens is that card gets what's called downgraded and the merchant pays the highest rate on that card 
base because the Visa MasterCard didn't, they didn't see the qualifying data that was required for that transaction. So a lot of my job is looking at these B2B environments and finding ways to either providing them a, a virtual terminal or the integration that we talked about a moment ago to making sure that when these cars are ran, the system is recognizing these B2B cars and either giving them the ability to enter in these line item information, whether it's uh, invoice number, PO number, origin of sale, you know, tax ID number and the like, or a system that automatically inputs default data to qualify or optimize those cards. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, this is this has been a, a, a heck of an education for my audience. I mean, it's, you know, having spent eight months in it, which is just scratched the surface there. There's so much to this. And the ultimate goal is to, you know, have the processing happen as, as I'll call it cheaply as possible, but more money in your customer's bank account. So um, I think it's extremely important. And again, just the education, there's an assumption I remember the very first time I, I, I tried to use a credit card and I got my terminal and it was one of the, the bigger banks and they basically gave me this package, spending a lot of money. I wasn't actually taking any credit cards at the time. And at the end, I, I bagged it about eight months into it because all I was doing was spending money. I had no idea all the stuff that was associated with it. Why? Because I was trusting my bank to, to give me the, the transparency, if you will. So Perrin, um, I, I do have to bring this conversation to a close. I, I, I'm enjoying this and we could certainly talk for, frankly, hours. I, I know the certifications that you carry are not easy to get. I mean, you have to be in the industry over a year to even be able to take the test to, to get the certifications. So I, I know that you are extremely qualified and very knowledgeable. And anybody who's listening today that has any additional questions or really want to dig into this or start accepting cards for your business or look at the software maybe that you're developing that might be take accepting payments and get an integration, I think it'd be really important. But Perrin, why don't you tell our listeners um, how they can contact you and all your information and websites and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. Yeah, so on all social media, um, I'm at Pay Nation US. Um, website is still being built, uh, you know, full new rebrand. So uh, the website is not up right now, but it's uh, paynation.us. Um, and uh, email is uh, pholtrup at paynation.us. So everything is uh, paynation.us or paynation.us. Um, happy to talk to anybody, have a conversation. Um, certainly here to help. You know, like I tell people a lot of times, my job is kind of a hybrid between tech and sales, so I'm always able to help on the sales side and understanding fees and understanding how that works, but also help with the integration if there is any integration required. So I'm happy to help and, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, one, one client at a time to try to see if we can, uh, you know, get them to the next level. All right. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your time and, and all this education that you're giving to the audience. And thank you out there for joining us at the cafe today. If your business needs a CMO or senior level marketing person, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me to find out more about my fractional interim consulting services or visit theponzigroup.com. You can find a variety of resources there, blogs, videos, eBooks, and certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, please subscribe to this show. And if you're already a subscriber, I encourage you to tell others about it so they can benefit from this great content like we heard today. Or you can go to the businessgrowthcafe.com or subscribe on any major podcast platform that you like to listen to. Please join me next week at the Business Growth Cafe. And Perrin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. 
Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.